Uh, the reading of the scriptures from uh, Psalm 8, I invite your uh, reverent hearing and faith of God's word as we read uh, the entirety of Psalm uh, 12, excuse me, Psalm 12, a Psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off, cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us, who is master over us. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. A foundational to... Uh all of life, whether it be in the world or in the church, of course, is uh, the Word. Uh, chiefly in the world, David is going to tell us that uh, falsehood uh, prevails. In the church, uh, the opposite truth is to prevail. Uh, David, uh, in this particular psalm, is uh, lamenting uh, the pervasiveness of uh, lying. Uh, recalls to mind, of course, that we're not to bear false witness, uh, but again, uh, in his own day, uh, that commandment, of course, uh, was being trashed. Uh, and in light of the pervasiveness of falsehood, he prays for God to act. Uh, essentially, the prevailing uh, propaganda of the day uh, provokes uh, David's outcry. Uh, and then God, of course, uh, answers with a promise uh, to deliver uh, it is, I think, something of a classic lament psalm in which uh, there's a troublesome time and then, of course, God, God answers. And it is uh, worth remembering as we go through the psalm that uh, liars uh, will always lose and the truth will always uh, prevail. We do not know the particular occasion for this psalm. Uh, perhaps it's a court scene in which men position themselves for power and influence and use lies as the currency to secure their own self-interest. Uh, again, we just, we just do not know. Uh, David does not tell us. Sometimes he does. On this occasion, he does not. Uh, but it is a reminder that uh, his kingdom was in conflict uh, with the uh, prevailing kingdom of the world. And that conflict continues today. Uh, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Uh, they both use words. One is chiefly known for using words of falsehood. The other, of course, is to use the word of God and the word of truth. Uh, but those kingdoms are always going to be in conflict. And the words that are used are telling of the particular nature of the kingdom to which one belongs. It's interesting that the psalm was written for the choir director. 
So this psalm, even though it carries, a, by and large, a very, very negative thought, was a ballad of disgrace to be sung in the worship of God in the temple. Tells of a distressing time. But nonetheless, uh, it's also going to tell of the grace of God. So David uh, laments the prevailing disorder caused by falsehood and he prays for deliverance, verses 1 and 2. It's easily, easily discerned in the first word uh, of, of uh, the psalm. Help, Lord. That's an imperative from the verb to save. He's crying out single uh, outcry uh, for God provide help. Uh, the Greek translation has save me. So it makes particular for David uh, perhaps a hint uh, that his own courtroom, uh, his own kingdom, uh, his own court scenes uh, as a king is uh, suffering the violence of uh, falsehood. There follows two reasons for the prayer. First, the faithful man ceases to be. I don't know whether it's a literal in terms of, of uh, honesty simply causes uh, faithful men to die off or whether they simply retreat. It's interesting that the adjective faithful has the same radicals uh, for the uh, Hebrew word hesed, uh, which speaks to the loyal love of God. Probably an indication that loyalty uh, was rare in David's day. I think loyalty is rare every day. It's a reminder that as God's people, we're to be loyal to Him, loyal to the church, loyal to His institutions, loyal in obedience. The world, of course, is disloyal in all of those things. The second reason is in the parallel line. The faithful disappear. Uh, this uh, word comes from the word for truth, meaning that virtue uh, was uh, also rare in David's day. And, of course, our day. We're to be a virtuous people in our conduct, in our dress, in our thoughts. Our prevailing issue of our life is to represent truth and virtuous living. It's interesting, the Greek translation, the Old Testament, uh, places the word truth in the plural. Grates on our ears, but truths disappear. What happens, of course, when uh, lies begin to prevail or accepted, uh, the truth retreats. Uh, in that sense, the trustworthy man is a necessary pillar of social order, uh, is on an endangered species list. In some cultures in the world in which we live, to be a Christian places you on an endangered species list, marks you, uh, as a target uh, for persecution because 
the two kingdoms are in conflict and will always be in conflict. Uh, wonderful illustration of this in the prophet Elijah. Romans chapter 11, the prophet laments. Verses 3 and 4, he's crying out to God with a lament. He says, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thy altars, and I alone have left. And they're seeking my life. So again, the kingdoms are always in conflict, are they not? Uh, Elijah, of course, uh, is a little bit in error. Uh, oftentimes when we're in trouble, uh, when we repair to God, we have a way of thinking, I'm the only one that's ever experienced this. That's what Elijah is doing. God reminds him. He has 7,000 that have not uh, bowed uh, the knee to uh, Baal. But it was a perilous time. David's court, Elijah's court, uh, again, evoking within our hearts uh, the simple truth that uh, liars will lose and the truth will prevail. Uh, the cause of uh, uh, the prayer is in uh, verse 2. Uh, the nature of uh, the disappearance of the man of truth, of the man of faith, or the loyal man. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. Now, the word falsehood, interestingly enough, is used of idols. Idols are worthless. They are the ultimate lie. Because they promise, but they cannot deliver. The parallel line amplifies the thought. They speak with Smooth words, verse 3, speaks of, of uh, flattering lips. Again, going back to the second verse. Flattering lips. Uh, the word uh, in the Hebrew Bible is literally uh, smooth, smooth words. And then a double heart, literally two hearts. A cognate for the word smooth is used in Daniel chapter 11 of the great danger of Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, he's dangerous because he is a man of falsehood and he speaks smooth words. Uh, and the words uh, are defined in the context of he is enticing the covenant community to disobey God and to erase the covenantal distinctions that define them. And so they're smooth. Smooth in the sense that he is telling people what they want to hear, which makes him traffic in the ultimate falsehood. Uh, the Greek translation has lips of deceit. Uh, two hearts, uh, it's like our idiom, forked tongue. You speak with two tongues, two hearts. Again, speaking to the ethical failure of uh, lying that you and I should know will always be found out will always lose because truth will always prevail. The, the greater telling reality of uh, the particular nature of uh, what David is experiencing uh, is that it was uh, uh, repeatable in his day and universal action. Uh, so much so that the truth, like the man of truth, uh, was threatened with extinction. 
word from Solomon, Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. That's the danger of uh, falsehood when it begins to prevail. It crushes, it destroys, it works incredible ruin. I'm reminded in the early 1930s, uh, Germany, uh, Goebbels, the Ministry of Propaganda. What is propaganda? Falsehood and lying, telling people what uh, is not true. What was the result of it? The utter destruction of Western Europe. Tens of millions of people dead. Governments tend towards tyranny, and it begins, of course, with propaganda and lying. That's what David is experiencing. And so he prays, uh, beginning in verse 3, for judgment. Uh, for God to destroy those who traffic in falsehood uh, because of the danger of it. He understood the danger of it. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Nobody. And so they say, uh, they, they boast that their words will win the day. Uh, the tongue that speaks great things uh, uh, is really a military term, uh, the actions of a warrior, so that whoever these men were, and there were lots of them, they have weaponized the words to prevail, to destroy, to win the day, to win the argument, to win the government, and perhaps even to overthrow David. Uh, and notice, interestingly enough, their incredible insolence. Our lips are our own. It's a denial that we are God's creatures. Uh, affirmation of the church. As his creatures, we literally own nothing. He owns everything. We are stewards, of course, of all that he gives us. But ownership uh, does not belong to us. Everything belongs to God. Everything that you own in your home, in one sense or another, has his stamp of ownership upon it. That's why we should be careful about what we own. Uh, because it belongs to him. And if it's not for his honor and glory, perhaps we should not own it. And we should certainly never own lying. Uh, the world may prevail and gain incredible victories with falsehood. Uh, but that cannot be our way. And then the most uh, dreaded question, who, who is Lord over us? As if no one. We can spin our falsehood with impunity. No one will catch us, they think. They will not be held responsible. Their end is to win, and lying is simply the way to get there. And they presume that there is no one that will hold them to account. That is the ultimate lie for which they will suffer incredible penalty. I mean, think of the hyperbole cut off their lips. It's a gruesome verbal picture, is it not? And cut off their tongue. Because uh, 
God uh, will hold them accountable. And again, we should always remember that liars will always lose, the truth will always win, and that winning temporally in the world in which we live does not validate lying. The greatest picture of judgment, uh, if you would turn to final chapter of the book of the New Testament, Revelation 22. Verse 15. Picture of eternity. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and and everyone who loves and practices lying. By the way, uh, preeminent New Testament scholar, Dr. Greg Beals, commentary in the book of the Revelation, uh, affirms that this text is applying to professing Christians in the church. They have a verbal profession of the faith, but their conduct belies that reality. They're really idolaters, but they will be caught, and they will not enter uh, the uh, city of God in eternity. Well, God, uh, God, answers, uh, God answers the prayer of David, beginning in verse 5. Uh, reminded to us uh, that there's uh, always injustice, and God will always have an answer for it. Because of the outcry of the afflicted and needy, God speaks. Uh, again, God is the ultimate redress. Uh, we cannot uh, take violence uh, in our own hands. Uh, vengeance belongs to God. Uh, hopefully there is civil government that will answer much of this, but uh, oftentimes civil government is a part of it. Uh, in that case, God is the ultimate redress, is the ultimate answer. And so God speaks. The larger point is that when men lie to further their ends, they cause harm, and God will bring justice. The content of his answer, uh, latter part of verse 5, I will arise, says the Lord. It's as if falsehood seemingly is prevailing, the truth is in retreat, the loyal, faithful man to the word is on an endangered species list, and God wakes up with an answer. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. Uh, Literally, salvation and deliverance for the man who longs for it. That God comes to the aid, the man of truth, the man of the word. Uh, It means that the currency of success is not lying but in trusting the promises of God. Uh, In many venues, uh, you will encounter deceitfulness and falsehood. Your response is to trust the Word of God. It's not saying you cannot go to civil government. I'm not saying that that is not an answer that should not be used, but Uh, Oftentimes, again, as I've suggested, uh, civil government is in collusion 
uh, with falsehood. Uh, but God always tells us to trust him and his promises. Uh, we cannot compete on the same field as the ungodly. The ungodly use means that are denied to us. But we have something that the ungodly do not have, the word of God and its promises. So again, kingdoms in conflict. Two different words, a kingdom of lies versus the kingdom of truth. The kingdom of lies will lose kingdom of truth will win. And in verses 6 to 8, the psalmist acknowledges the genuineness of God's word to preserve his own. Midst of all this falsehood, what do we have? The word of God. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace on the earth, refined seven times. The promises of God are sure and reliable. The Bible tells us that God cannot and does not lie. He gives us words of truth that we can rely upon. But the contrast between falsehood and deception is the word of God. Men may lie, but God does not. And so David speaks to this. The words of the Lord are pure like refined silver. The word for pure here is uh, used of the sacrificial animals uh, that were qualified to be used the tabernacle and the temple. So you know, they had to be unblemished. Uh, one of the great sins of Israel, you look at the minor prophets, that they were bringing blemished animals, wounded animals, to sacrifice to God as if God will take the cheap and we keep the best for ourselves. It's a lie. We'll never prosper. They entered into judgment. The simile is that the word is like pure silver. Tried but never wanting among God's silver. God's people, pardon me. Uh, sometime you may have the occasion to, I don't know, take a coin, a gold coin, or piece of unwanted jewelry, go to a jeweler. He's going to weigh it. He's going to do a quick uh, assay of it uh, to determine how pure it is. The word of God is pure. No defects. No inclusions. David is telling us that you can trust it. It is reliable. You can depend upon the promises of God. Throughout the scripture, this is the point. The Apostle Paul's uh, visit, final visit to the church at Ephesus, he speaks about the church being invaded with, with men that are liars, perverse men that will come in uh, like wolves to uh, draw the people of God after them. But then he provides the countervailing word. Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Two words in competition. A false word that comes into the church. But God has His word. The liar will lose. 
the truth will prevail. Similar to the context of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Evil men come into the church. What's the antidote? All Scripture is inspired by God. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Two kingdoms. Two words. Liars will lose, the truth will win. This promise is everywhere in the Scripture. And this is the promise that God gives to David in his lamentable estate or his time of distress. Verse 7, Thou, O Lord, will keep them. Thou will preserve him from this generation forever. In the midst of prevailing deception and propaganda and lies, even in the church, God will keep his own. Answers David's prayer. But by the way, there's a beautiful illustration of this, if they're not in 2 Samuel. Chapter 15. Uh, David is in a serious way. It's the height of rebellion. What makes the rebellion uh, so much more dangerous is that David's trusted advisor has defected uh, to the bad side. Ahithophel knew David. He knew how he acted. He knew what he would do. That's why he was so trusted. How can you win in a circumstance like that? When your trusted advisor goes to the dark side. 2 Samuel chapter 15. In verse 31. Now someone told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. A man of trusted words. And David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. And God answers the prayer. Ahithophel is marked for ruin. And David recovers his kingdom. Which is how it will always work out. The kingdom of lies and falsehood and propaganda and deception may gain temporary victories in our life, but ultimately will come to no end. The kingdom of God will prevail. The truth will win. The psalmist believes that God will preserve and keep his people. But it's not just that. Notice the last word of the line. Forever. Forever. There are always temporary advancements in the kingdom of the world. But God owns forever. He will recover and keep his own and preserve them. That's why if you're caught in some controversy in which there's falsehood, self-deception, 
I don't know. Uh, always present. Always remember the word forever. Because God will keep his own and the truth will win. In the great contra contrast between lies and truth, the former may have a temporal advantage, but God will stand by his people. This is most telling. Liars gain a temporal advantage, but we must take the long view for the promises of God are forever. The eternal advantage always belongs to those who believe the truth of the Word of God. Illustrated so many places in the Psalter, uh, but uh, one that I'm very fond of, the 111th Psalm, uh, the second half of the poetic line, he will remember, speaking of God, that God will remember his covenant forever. The eternal covenant of redemption, the eternal covenant marking out the elect of God, God will never forget. Knows your circumstances. Provides you an antidote in the word of truth. And that he will keep and preserve you, surround you, bring you to the end. The psalm closes uh, with sharp contrast. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. David is telling us in the midst of his lament, his prayer, uh, the answer of God to his prayer is that this battle will go on throughout our earthly lives. The wicked are always about us. Uh, the medium that they will oftentimes use to destroy us uh, are words. They're with us to the end, speaking their smooth words and advancing their deception. Again, what should hold us? The truth of the word of God, that God will preserve and keep us. So liars will not win. The man who is faithful and loyal to the word, he will win. He will be recovered by God. And in eternity, outside of the liars and those who love practicing the deceitful arts, we should, of course, uh, recover today as we uh, partake of the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, the great reminder of the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God, incarnate Christ, invades the order of lies to provide the greatest and most lasting answer uh, for us. John chapter 8 and verse 32. You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Christ is eternal truth, he sets us free. His high priestly prayer, John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth, truth. And then he adds, thy word is truth. That's our answer, that's what we possess in the knowledge of the Son of God. 
That is uh, the spirit that comes to us this morning as we fellowship with the spirit of Jesus, the table he provides. A wonderful illustration of this uh, in the uh, fourth servant uh, song. His grave was assigned to be with wicked men, yet with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit or lies found in his mouth. Great example to us, uh, one of the ways that he wins our salvation. Uh, He upholds the truth, lives the truth, is the truth, the eternal word of God. As we uh, prepare to partake of the table, I remind you that at Grace Bible Church, uh, our sacrament of the Lord's table is an open communion. Uh, By that I mean you do not have to be a member of this church, uh, but you do need to have a personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your only Redeemer. And secondarily, you should uh, not be under uh, church discipline Uh, to the church for which you belong. Uh, If you are a Christian and you're not under discipline, you are welcome to partake of the table with us. But more importantly, it's to reckon that uh, uh, the element that is most important is not uh, the physical element of the bread and the wine. It's that we, by faith, apprehend the benefits Uh, but the entirety of uh, the death of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, He's the bread of heaven. Uh, He shed his blood uh, to wash us from our sins. As we remember him, we also fellowship with him, uh, and we do that by faith. There are no blessings whatsoever, ladies and gentlemen, in the physical. Uh, It's by faith that we apprehend uh, the actions that are portrayed in this sacrament to the senses of the Lord's table. Uh, Certainly, uh, the biblical warrants for the Lord's table are manifestly uh, everywhere. I simply turn uh, to John uh, chapter 6 as a reminder of the greatness of the provision of our Savior. Uh, John chapter 6, verses 53 to 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As I uh, pass the bread, I would ask that you would uh, hold uh, the element until which time uh, all are served. Uh, But during that time, I would encourage you in the silence of your own heart to engage the living God, uh, to give thanks to the Spirit of Jesus who comes that we fellowship with, We remember, but we also partake. Uh, You ask God to use the sacrament 
as you use faith to apprehend all that it means, to bless you, to keep you, uh, to know that regardless of your circumstances in life, uh, there are many answers, this is one of them, that God has an eternal provision for you. And this is a reminder that you can be of good cheer, of good heart, and good hope because of the truth of the word of God and the words of our Savior, uh, who is the living word. Uh, after which time all are served, and I will uh, give uh, thanks uh, that we might eat together to express the unity, the oneness of the church, uh, that there's one body, uh, and we belong to that body. Uh, so let's prepare our hearts for the taking of the bread.